Hey everyone, this is Brother Wayne Clemens. I just want to thank you for tuning in with us today and being part of the worship experience here at Potter's Hope. Also, I want to tell you that there's several different venues that you'll be able to get the message in the entirety if you'd like. They're either by podcast or either going to pottershope.com where you'll also be able to listen and watch uh, for any of those times. But also, I want to encourage you to be with us in person, 8.30 Central Time at Exit 124, right there at White Mills and the Eastview Exit right off the Western Kentucky Parkway. And then also on campus, Sunday mornings here at 135 Commerce Drive uh, at 10.30. Also, our Wednesday night services at 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. But anyway, God bless you. I hope this message just um, in this time of encouragement finds you doing awesome. Be encouraged and know that Jesus loves you. God bless. Today, it gives me such great pleasure, man, to be able to, to stand. And a humble pleasure, I might say, to be able to stand behind what many have called this a sacred desk. And to be able to preach to you grace. Grace. I've been probably pondering this thought of grace for well over a month. And I've talked about how that grace was a weapon. But what good is a weapon if you don't know how to use it? (laughs) And what good is the power of grace if you don't understand it? So today, I I feel as though there's going to be quite a bit of structure to this. And I'm going to try to, to stay on my points if I can, simply because I believe that the Holy Spirit gave that to me. And I think that is such a foundational piece of our walk in Christ is to understand grace. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll be starting at verse 4. And as you're turning there, I wrote down, grace is the key to unlocking favor, and favor could almost be a synonym to grace. But grace is the key to unlocking favor in your life, in the kingdom. It's true that in this present culture, grace is something that seems to be expected and needed. Yet, it's something we need or feel like that we expect in ourselves, and yet we neglect for others. But God extended His grace to all of us, and Today, we're just simply going to allow the Holy Ghost to help us out for sure. We're going to follow his lead. But Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. The word of God says, but God, who is rich in mercy, hallelujah, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. And then parenthetical, it says, by grace. Are you saved? The word of God said that through this grace we've been raised up together and made and made to sit or made us all to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The word said in the ages to come that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and the kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And then very foundational to many is verse 8. And if you have a note card or if you can just put this down, this is one of those that you stick on your fridge. The Word of God says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Word of God says, for we are His workmanship, which God in Christ Jesus 
or created us in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Come on, pray with me. Heavenly Father, once again, we just thank you for the power of your word. And, and God, I know that your power is extended. I know today through the Holy Ghost that it's just, this word is inspired. I believe, God, that you're going into every home. God, I believe today that you're going into every soul. And I pray today, God, that you would anoint our ears to hear. Holy Ghost, help us to understand, as we so often say. But, Lord, today, if there's one that's lost, and God, let us preach with clarity a message of grace. Let us preach with clarity a message of conviction that brings people to the saving knowledge of who you are and of what you've done through the power of your Son there on Calvary's Hill. That, God, today, as we preach this grace out, let it not just be something that we preach, but God, let us be a life in which we live, a grace-filled life. Hallelujah. So, Lord, today, let your word go forth and do what you intend for it to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So in the world, there's so many weapons that we've heard of in the past, weapons of mass destruction and those things. And within the human arsenal, or excuse me, within the Christian arsenal, we've got to understand that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And when I begin to preach that today, I want you to think about the strongholds that are in your life. And most of those will probably be tied to a relational type of set or a foundation. I can tell you today that grace will destroy the foundation and the stronghold that hell has in your life once you not just understand it, but you begin to apply it. That when grace can become realized, and through the power of the Holy Ghost, you can start moving in that grace that was shown to you. Listen, it will transform your life. It will transform your mind, hallelujah, that will then transform your life. The first thought is this for the note takers. Point number one, amazing grace. Isn't it an amazing grace that that, that slave trader all those years ago, that you know that this was written or even the poem that was penned all those years ago was from that slave trader about amazing grace. And you know, it would be years after that to where we would truly realize the true sin that was within that. But I'm thankful that that amazing grace, that song that was penned all those years ago, that I didn't need that poem to tell me of how great God's amazing grace was. Isn't it an amazing grace how that God takes you from who you used to be? And isn't it an amazing grace that said, I know where you've been. I know what you've done. And isn't it amazing how God said that if I saved him, I can save you and that I sent my son to die for you. Isn't it an amazing grace that says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's an amazing grace. We live on a merit system. You were raised in a merit system. Please stay with me. Because grace preaches against the merit. Grace preaches against the highest of ACT scores and the SAT scores. That listen, the world is looking for the score. The world is looking for you to be placed here or placed there upon what you've did or upon what you've done. But listen, God's grace is much different. It's not about what you've done or the score that you've made. It's about the blood that He shed. Hallelujah on the cross at Calvary. That is grace. Can I get a witness in the house? Praise be to God. It's an amazing grace. When it says, for by grace are we saved through faith. 
It goes on to say this in Ephesians. It goes on to say, not of works, lest any man should boast. That very merit system says this. You were raised in it, that if I do good, then I'll be rewarded. But you know the gospel of the kingdom of God says this, that even when you've done bad, been bad, lived bad, that there's still this thing called grace that is in place that saves you, listen, through the blood of Jesus and sets you free. It's an amazing grace, not built once again upon that merit, but upon the blood of Jesus Christ. The Word says this in Romans chapter 5, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also, verse 1 and 2, by also we have this access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In verse 8 of that same chapter, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, there's that scripture I used, Christ died for us. What a powerful thought that before you even came to him, he loved you. That before you ever came to the realization of how rotten you were, Jesus Christ had already died. The blood had already been applied. And that is amazing. Love, His love, His amazing grace and love doesn't say do right and you'll get there. What amazing grace says is this, my blood has bought and paid for you. Now before you grab that thought and say, well, hallelujah, I want some of this grace. It sounds like an old preacher saying, I can live any way I want to. You got no better than that. We're going to get to that in a minute. But I want you to declare today that it's an amazing grace. Amazing grace. Now, the reason for that is this, and not necessarily, let's don't call it point two, but let's call it point one A or one B, whichever one. But come to this place, that amazing grace cannot stand by itself because it's an atoning grace. The Word says this much more than, now being justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. Let me encourage some of the Christians out there today that we're thinking, man, this is wrapping up. The wrath of God is getting ready to be revealed. And the truth of the, truth of the matter is this, I believe that we're living in the last days. I believe we're living in perilous times. I could prove that through Scripture and through the events that are going on. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing new under the sun. Listen, as long as there's been man, there's been evil. And I need to tell you today this very thing, that God is not waiting in heaven to pour His wrath out on the believer. Why? Because you have the blood of Jesus applied to you. You and I are not appointed to the wrath of God. Doesn't mean that we won't be persecuted. Doesn't mean that we won't go through tribulations or trials. I've said this more than once lately, but I want to tell you this. We are people of the kingdom, not of the world. Hallelujah. We should be knowing the difference between sheep and goats and wheat and tares. What is atoning grace? Grace is the product of the atonement. Grace is the product of the appeasement. Why is that? That God hates sin, period. Grace has to be part and can be nothing else beside or tied with nothing but atonement. Atonement is this, much more now being justified by His blood, we are saved from the wrath through Him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled. When we were enemies, we were reconciled unto God by the death of His Son. It goes on to say, and not only, not only so, but we live through this joy of God, through Jesus Christ, by whom now we have received the atonement. The atonement is that which is put in place in our life by the blood. Grace cannot stand alone. 
Because everybody wants grace. Everybody expects grace. That's where I started. But the truth of the matter is that grace cannot stand alone because without the blood of Jesus, there can be no atonement. You know, when you begin to think of it, think of it like this. Think of it just in simplicity. That, that, that in the very core of all of it, that when you think about grace, somebody said, well, I need that grace. Well, listen, Jesus Christ came in grace and truth. You can't have grace until you come to the truth. And I'll talk more to this in a minute. But it's an amazing grace that has to have that atonement. That no longer when the blood of bulls and goats, when they would no longer sacrifice, God sent forth His very Son, that sinless, spotless Lamb. And listen, He died once, hallelujah. The Word said He died once and for all. Not black, not white, not rich, not poor. Jesus Christ died for everybody and all. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome that God is not a respecter of persons today? Hallelujah. I believe that because it's the foundation and through the foundation of the Word that I stand on today. Amazing grace. Atoning grace. You sin. The Word said we've all sinned. And come short of the glory of God. Today in a culture that wants grace and grace that's expected to be able to say anything, do anything that it wants and there not to be any consequence. Friend, I need to tell you today that the kingdom of God is not like that. Sin has to be paid for. I wrote this down and it's simply this. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's scripture. But listen, it's a faith and it's a grace that you can't buy into, that you can't borrow into, that you can't Facebook tweet into, that listen, somebody else can't put you into. Listen, it takes the blood of Jesus washed over your mind. Aren't you thankful for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ? Hallelujah, that has washed all of your sins away. And therefore, if you are made free through the blood of Jesus Christ, you are free indeed. Hallelujah, grace says, I'm free through the blood of Jesus Christ. But it cannot stand alone. It's amazing grace. Why is that so foundational? More than just a lyric. Well, I'm thankful I got just enough. No, friend, I need to tell you point number two. It's an abounding grace. The Word of God says this in Romans 5, 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered. And when the law entered, that says everybody's dying. Everybody. The law, the letter kills us all. It's the truth of the matter coming in. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Hallelujah. That Listen, in your own life, where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. Stay with me. There's a point here to preach. That as though sin reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto our eternal life or unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So it sounds like that where sin was and where sin is in place and all of, all of that within the Old Testament, all of the blood being placed upon the altar, all of the blood being there on the Day of Atonement, all of those things being in place. Listen, a better covenant, this new covenant through Jesus Christ now supersedes everything from the Old Testament and we can walk in that new covenant with and of Jesus Christ. So the Word says this, that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The Word goes on to say, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Isn't this a powerful thought today? That we're no longer under the law, but under the grace. 
Somebody said, hallelujah. Where the law says, you mess up, you're snuffed up, or you're snuffed out, you're done. Verse 15, familiar. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not to whom you yield your servants to obey his servants or to who those that you do obey, whether of sin under death or of obedience under righteousness? Grace does not say go live as you want. Grace says Jesus Christ died for you. And you can become dead to your old self and alive and new in him. But isn't it awesome today to know this? That maybe you've thought like I have before because the enemy is so quick to condemn you. I don't know about you all and not that we entertain him much or give him much credit. But if I were to ask how many of you have really flubbed up and failed within the past month, the past week. I don't know about you, but the enemy will try to say things like, you've done it now. God hates you. God doesn't love you anymore. I thought you were a Christian. There's no way you should have, could have done this or done that. But you know what? Can we just declare today that the devil's a liar and God is true? Can we just declare that? And can I tell you something? Why don't you just quit giving him a voice in your life and begin to speak the truth of God over your life instead of allowing that voice to speak? Well, it's over. It's finished. We are never going to be any more than what your mom and daddy said you were going to be. Can I tell you something? When you were born again, you then and now have a heavenly father that you know. It's an abounding grace. That where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. That that ample grace through the blood of Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. That blood of Jesus that is still flowing freely to all of those that need Him and want to be born again. But the Word said, understand this, that whoever you yield your servants or your members to obey, that's who your God is. That's who your God is. This abounding grace is in place, but it does not give us a license to sin. It can't be such a sloppy grace because, can I tell you, sloppy grace is not understanding grace at all. Because in the trueness of it is that without, once again, understand that grace cannot be, it cannot stand alone without the blood saying it's paid for. Today they're at home and even in this house right now that if you could say, I'm bought and paid for. I am bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's not just an abounding grace. It's an abiding grace. And I don't know if these guys can or not, but just real quickly, if you can, if you could turn the lights on and back on or off and back on, it would be great just for this simple thing. That abiding grace is not, I'm saved and I'm lost. I'm saved and I'm lost. I'm saved. Stay right there, please. The reason for that, an abiding grace has to be stronger than when I mess up, I flub up, then I'm lost. Why? Because the blood of Jesus would be something that wouldn't be foundational to our life. 
You've got to understand, and I need to understand, that with grace as our weapon, we can truly see that when it's in place, it's an abiding grace, a staying grace. Now, we'll get to the meat of this message in John chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. But as many as received him, in verse 12, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. As many as received him. Today, we got a lot of people that receive church, we got a lot of people that receive the songs. We got a lot of people that want to receive the joy. We got a lot of people that want to receive this. But can I tell you, it takes receiving Jesus Christ. It takes understanding that he was the supreme sacrifice, not a sacrifice, but a sinless, spotless sacrifice. And that's receiving him. And only to them did he give the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I believe on the power of his name. I still believe that at the name of Jesus demons have to flee that at the name of Jesus cancers diabetes other things are subject to the power of his name there's salvation in his name there's healing in his name there's deliverance in his name there's joy in his name there's love in his name and hallelujah there is hope in his name and to you today that is bound by sin there is deliverance in the name of Jesus just call on him and he will set you free There's an abiding grace that when you mess up, grace doesn't flee and run off and hide in a corner. It can't be that. But those that believe on His name are those which were born, not of blood, meaning that having an earthly mother and father. The Word goes on to say, not just that, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. In verse 13, When you say that, it could be my will, the will of my flesh. And I know many of you have folks that you want to see saved. You have children that you want to see come back to God. And as much, Amy, as I want to will that, listen, I don't have the power to supersede that. But through Holy Ghost conviction, things can change. Nor the will of the flesh or nor the will of man, that as much as you and I want that to happen, but of God. Let me take just a moment out as I speak here about this abiding grace. I still believe in Holy Ghost conviction and power. I still believe that, that people get under conviction. I still believe that when you get under conviction, you, you can't sleep. That when you get under conviction, there's no rest for your soul. I still believe in that kind of conviction. The Word of God goes on to say this, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among men. There's that word I used as I prayed early on. And we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father. And it goes on to say this, Full of grace and truth. And John bare witness of Him, saying, This was He of whom I spake that comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. Now look here, I want you to know, because I've seen this pattern for years, and many have you, many of you have, so, so I know, but just, but just stay with me on this thought. The Word said that Jesus came by grace and truth. And I want you to notice that pattern, and this maybe does a better job, Amy, of even beginning trying to, to explain grace. 
this abiding, this abounding, this amazing grace that I'm talking about. I want you to think of grace just for a moment as a huge piece of carpet, Dennis, that I may have. And let's just call it the red carpet. And if this was grace, that if I took this and I rolled out that carpet of grace, and it would roll as far as the eye could see. And everybody would say, oh, if it's that grace, then, then I'll get on that grace and I'll go to heaven. But I want you to notice that Jesus didn't come just by grace. He came by grace and by truth. You see, because knowing this, that the funerals that I've preached and the countless folks, and no offense to any family or anything else, but in the end, we all want to know where we're going. At least most do. And families say, well, do you think they made it? You've heard me say this often. I don't know. There's some people that I may have more of a surety with pretending being tied to the love that they've shown, the love of Christ and the fruits maybe that they've bore, but it's still not my place to judge them. So I want you to think about this grace that is rolled out. But it takes truth. And before you can walk on that red carpet, if you will, of grace to come to the throne room of God, if this back here were behind me were heaven's door, You don't come midway in the truth. You start with the truth. Jesus came in grace and in truth. What is the truth? Well, the Word of God says this. That once again, that while we were yet sinners, it's coming to the truth and the needing. We all need grace. But grace, once again, is a byproduct of the truth. And the truth is core foundation set forth by the blood of Jesus Christ. That all have sinned and come short. Of the glory of God. When you think about that, it becomes something that that truly is foundational to all of us. We all want to walk and be a part of that grace, but you can't without the truth. The truth is today is that in your mind, you may be saying, well, I can live this way and I can live that way. I can live with all of these things that are coming against me and are all these things that I'm choosing to partake in. Friend, are you really changed? Are you really changed? So before there can be an abiding or a staying grace, there has to be the foundation of truth in your life. The Word of God says this, and His fullness have all of us received in verse 16, and grace for grace, and grace upon grace. That means it's just not a little bit, but grace upon grace upon grace, an abiding and a staying grace. That says, if I sin, that light on and that light off, that if I sin, I have an advocate with the Father. Getting just a little bit deeper, let me tell you what I found that grace does in my life. There's an aligning grace. There's an aligning grace. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. One thing is that, that grace does, and, and I used this even up at the bridge this morning, and I've used it before. <laughs> How many of you know when your car needs an alignment? Not only are there things that you feel, it can be shaking, it can be different things. You may have hit a chug hole in life, and 
using yourself as, as the very vessel. But also, if you take a look at your tires, you'll see that when you need an alignment, you're wore out on one side. And you can always tell those that need alignment because they're wore out. And just as, have you ever said this before, you are getting on my nerves. When you've said that, it's just like that old tire, man, that the fiber started showing through. And because you won't let the Holy Ghost line you up, friend, I'm telling you, you're destined for a blowout. As simple as that may be. But alignment. What does grace do? What do you mean? How does it align me? How does it do that? The Word of God says, in Matthew 7 and verse 2, For with what judgment you judge people, you'll also be judged in that same manner. Paraphrasing. It'll be measured to you again. Grace and it's an alignment, not just amazing, not just abounding. Not only just abiding that we need, but this alignment. And guys, this is one of the most critical things I think today that we need to see. We're living in a culture right now that has become so critical. Where do these wars and fightings come from among you, the book of James says? They don't come from out here. They come from within you. And I've got to tell you that, that I think that there's times in my life that, that if, I, if I really don't guard, I can become very critical. And this is nothing new to you because you've heard me preach it and others preach it too. But the thing is, when you come to the place and you say, how can they do that? How can they believe that way? How can they do things this way? Why do they still do that? Where grace really aligns me and begins to, to set me, here's the thing that I want to tell you. Never forget who you were before Christ. Never let your past be so distant that you can't at least get a picture in the rearview mirror of who you were before he found you. When I say that, uh, the, the reason that I think that it's so important is, is because what I see is I see Christians, myself included at times, I have to really watch this to become so critical. Understand this, that, that, that lost people do lost things that you've heard said so many times. Lost people do lost things, but this is core. We're not out. I, when, I, when I said last week, let's start looking for what is different. Start having conversations with what is different. Why? Because Jesus Christ did not come to heal or to save the righteous. He came to heal those that needed healing. And He came to bring sinners to repentance. Now when I do that, I don't extend grace in such a way that says, go ahead and live any way you want to and me pat you on the back. No, the truth of the matter is this, that there are times in Scripture and truly foundational in Scripture that you can't live like hell and expect heaven. It would completely go right against the face of God hating sin. But when grace aligns you and what it does for you, it's when the Holy Spirit speaks so precious. And says, have you forgotten what I brought you from? Have you forgotten how rotten you were? That's one thing that I see that grace does truly. And that's where the foundation, and we begin to use it as a weapon. 
when you begin to use it in that way, you never forget who you are. Excuse me, who you were. And now who you are. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 7 and verse 44. It's one of my favorite pieces of Scripture. And Kathy, I know y'all are probably watching today. But this is such a, a vivid, vivid picture. The Word of God says this, and I'll be at verse 40. Let me back up to verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired that he would eat with him. And when he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet him, behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment. And you can truly see here, this is aligning grace. She stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and to wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner." What a picture. And you know, I begin to think about this potter's hope is that Sunday after Sunday, and of course, I know the virus has, has definitely changed some things here, but even in some of the past meetings that we've had, you wonder, why does that person go to the altar? And you wonder why that maybe you leave getting nothing out of service, and you're asking that question about her, and you begin to come critical the thing is, she brought the alabaster box with her. Why? Because she had full intention. In the midst of all this situation, she didn't care who or what. She came to get to him. I texted, or a friend had texted me this week, and it told me concerning her worship, and different things pertaining to that worship, and I was so encouraged about that. And what does worship look like? Worship doesn't look like the same coat for everybody. For me, worship is usually, when I'm there, Eric, and in the midst of him, it's usually tears streaming down my cheeks. One of the catalysts to my worship, and, and I say this, and it's not that I'm cheating off of you, <laughs> It's when I see somebody that I know that's been struggling and I see them simply throw both hands up in the air. And maybe they even let out one of those war hoops. Maybe it's the husband that I see that was so cold and distant and now the Holy Ghost has warmed and saturated his soul. So when we look at grace, I wonder if we could look through the eyes of this one that everybody else calls a sinner. You see, because when grace aligns you, it never lets you forget who you were. Now, I need to say this. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I am a saint bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness in this house that when you realize that I don't start my day, I don't end my day saying, Lord, I'm a sinner, I'm going to fail. And Lord, thank you today for letting me be a sinner, but I know you got enough grace. I never do that, nor do I ever intend to or will I. I am not a sinner saved by grace. I am a saint, hallelujah, 
a priest, if you will, king and priest, according to the word of God and through the power of the blood, we are different than that. But I wonder if you could do that. I see her now. Simon's already beginning to chat. What's she doing here? She don't, what's she got? What's she doing with that alabaster box? But can I tell you something? She never pays no mind to him. Because you'll quit paying mind to something else when your heart came to worship the king. What did she do? She just began to cry, man, and began to break. <laughs> the religious will always say, if he's who he said he was, he would know she's a sinner. And I love this passage. And Jesus answered unto him, Simon, I've got somewhat to say unto you. And he said, say on. He said, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave most. And he said unto them, You have rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and he said, Now look here. He turned to the woman, but he said to Simon. (laughs) He turned to the woman, but he said to Simon. See that, this woman? Ah. I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's washed my feet with the tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You didn't even give me a kiss. But this woman, I mean a greeting, this woman's never stopped that since, and she's never quit ceasing, or she hasn't ceased to, to stop to kiss, kissing my feet. My head you didn't anoint with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with this ointment. Wherefore I say unto her, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said unto her, their sins are forgiven. Wow. Who's this that's got that kind of power to forgive sins? Now we know that he spoke it and the blood would prove it in the coming months. But this kind of grace is what lines you up. Is never forgetting to be at his feet. I wrote down here that grace positions you. And friends, I got to tell you that the weapon of grace that is in, in so much power. Is what I've said is that don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget the price that was paid for you. I want to preach this to you real quick. And you need to catch this. This is going to be somewhat revelation, maybe to some. The first time, and I I, I want to say this, the last point that I want to make is just simply the authority of grace. I want to say this before I go forward, is that when the enemy comes against you, if you don't understand grace, he'll, he'll keep on 
chewing you up and spitting you out. He'll condemn you, and, and you'll live a, a, a subpar life in the kingdom instead of living victorious and joyous in him. Friend, I need to tell you that if you sin, if you sin, you have that advocate, just like I've mentioned. But the thing is, you have to bring that under the blood. Be free. But this authority that we have in grace is something that's so powerful. The first time that you see the word grace used in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 6. It's at verse 8. If you could go there with me, the Word of God says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I don't have time to, to teach this out in, in, in fullness and in, in, in the completion, but I need to give you this because I think that if you understand the authority you have in grace, and you can't get to point five unless you understand there's first four. The Word of God says that when it's the first time that it's used, it can mean kindness. It also means stooping. It, it can mean that stooping, that, that it's just extended. What is that grace? God's mercy extended. Why do we need this grace today? Noah found grace. If you were to read verses 1 through 7, you would find that it seems to me, as the Holy Spirit has revealed, that it's much the same time as we're living in today. The Word of God says, and it came to pass in verse 1, that men began to multiply in the face, or on the face of the earth, and the daughters that were born unto them. And the sons of God saw the daughters of men that were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh for his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Please look at verse 4, and I'm going to give you something to ponder. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children unto them, and the same become mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Here's at least the product of that. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 6, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. Folks, I need to tell you today that there's giants in the land. That's probably not something that's new to you. You've probably heard that before. Here, it could equate. There's two or three different schools of thought. One of those that are actually angels came down. And, of course, we know, we can see in Scripture that they can take on a fleshly body and a fleshly appearance. And many of you have studied that out. And when you look at the word Nephilim and you see that. But anyway, we could see just within that course of things. Some people say that the sons of God go back to the godly line of Seth. But it's said that they begin to intermingle. They begin to have relations, if you will, with the daughters of men. There's giants in the land today. 
When I began to think about that this week as I was praying and I was thinking about, God, boy, there is. There's some giants, the giants of fear. And, Jake, as you come today, the giants of fear, anxiety. But I want you to think about a couple other giants that are really going on culturally. Amy, when I begin to think about a giant, it's hard to say. And, 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 and this could be, you know, we could talk about the children of Anak. I'm going to try to preach the rest of this out Wednesday and what giants really want to do, if I can. But I'm going to set your, your mind on this thinking. Today, if I were to ask you, what are the giants? Truly, they're in the land. I think that it, it ascribes to this and it ties back to this. How many of you could say today that the media is a giant today? The media may be one of the biggest giants. And many of you, I know that you still can say, boy, you've seen the effect maybe that the media has on different situations right now, even within our nation. I'm not going to delve into that too deeply, but we can definitely see that the media is a giant. Now, when you think of a giant, everybody's mind goes, Jake, to 1 Samuel 17, that all of us as preachers have preached that out. <laughs> Maybe most all of us. And the thing, Amy, is this, is that the giant will always be in the valley. And where the giant wants to get you is at the lowest point in your life. And right now, I know that in many people that are watching today, you may feel like the lowest point that you have. You could feel like that, hey, man, I thought things were going to be this way, and now they're this way, and boy, there it comes. You turn on the TV, and the media is telling you this, and it's telling you that, and it seems as though most all of the main media outlets and the networks have such a liberal agenda and a liberal mindset. I don't know what we're going to do. I can tell you what to do. Turn it off. Turn it off. Turn it off. And it's not just that, Jake, that here's the thing that, that the enemy did. is though Goliath, nine feet six, nine feet nine, ever how tall he was in the valley, who you got? Who you got? And a whole army. And it's like today that a whole Christian army are, are pushed back because of the media. And it's not just the media. What's the other giant? Tech. Tech. That when you look at that, Amy, can I have your phone, please? Can I have your phone? Isn't it amazing how you can hold something in your hand only to find out what you're holding in your hand is the one that's got a grip on you? And I say that today, as many of you are watching through Facebook, I don't want to be critical, but listen, I want to tell you this, that today, this cannot become our God. Pastor, that's old news. No, the giants today that we, that we face in this land are the media and the tech giants. Stay with me. What about that valley? The valley of Elah. Here you go, Miss Clemens. I've been to the valley of Elah at least once, maybe twice. I can't recall exactly when we went to Israel. And for any of you that went with me, we went to that valley of Eli. It wasn't much of a valley at all. But it was somewhat of a ravine. And they, they, they posed to us Goliath coming down into this ravine and all of the Israel being over here. And they was talking about how that the Philistine, how Goliath would say, come on, bring what you got. And it was that talking head that David had to cut off. 
today, I want to tell you this, that much of our giants are in a different valley. It's not the Valley of Elah. Do you realize today, and you've seen this, how that they can censor, and this could even get censored, but you're finding out that they want to get out there whatever they want to get out there. Silicon Valley, that when you begin to think about that and the giants today that we face, do you realize, I'm just going to read something to you. I've done a little bit of study here. This was according to one website, Investopedia, but Silicon Valley is a region that literally in the south of San Francisco and makes its way up north. And in that, there's all of these tech giants and even media-type giants that live in that area. I wrote, or it was actually reported this, some 39 of the Fortune 1000 companies are headquartered right there in the Silicon Valley. Half of the world's billionaires are there giants in the land. Half of the world's billionaires, Braden, live there. Names like this, those that they're either associated with and or created or were the founder of. Names like Uber, eBay, Twitter, Intuit. And also, Lauren Jobs. Steve Jobs' widow. George Lucas, as far as media is concerned, that many of you know is of Star Wars fame. Many of you have heard of WhatsApp, Intel, Google, Tesla, Oracle. And within that same region, Facebook, and names that are tied to that like Mark Zuckerberg. And today, we're using that platform to get this out there to you. So there's giants in the land today. The Word of God said that Noah found grace. Ultimately, it's this, that when you look at that, he found grace. And I'm thankful today that the blood of Jesus lets all of us find grace in the power of Jesus Christ or in the power of who he is and what he did for us. So today, how do we slay the giants? And this is not saying that you can't use that format or that platform, but don't let that use you. And don't let you become a simple prostitute to those things. That you don't have to believe everything you read. And you sure don't have to believe everything that people say. Thus saith the Word of God. Now, what, what happened? What was the answer to the giants that were in that land that, that day? Noah found grace. It's easy to equate Noah to the ark, but in all essence, it was all about a remnant of people being saved. Listen, folks, today, perilous times, all those things that I've talked about, listen, they are here. And the real thing, last week I was talking about not just the retooling of the factory, but the retooling of the family. Build an ark. Build something that your family will stay afloat and it'll rest on the other side of this. And you can come out, hallelujah, through the power of who He is. Noah found grace. There's an authority in grace. I could walk you through Scripture. Boy, I say that humbly. I couldn't do it as well as many. 
Genesis 3, there was a shift from the sin in the garden. Genesis 6, there's a shift here with Noah and the ark. Genesis 11 with Abraham. Genesis 22 with the promise seen and realized within Isaac and his father Abraham. We could walk all the way down through and begin to see throughout the course of history until we finally get to this thing and this authority of grace today that is bestowed upon us. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. America needs to find grace today in the eyes of God and come back to God and have a real, I'm talking about a heaven-sent, Holy Ghost kind of revival that changes you and will defeat the giants that are in the land. Noah found grace. Today, as I get ready to close, I'm going to ask you, have you found grace? More importantly, has grace found you? Before you, don't go yet. I've got to tell you this, and, and it's the reason, because in the midst of that, you think that, well, I can keep doing what I'm doing. And sin will have no effect upon me. It's not true. Remember, sin doesn't just want some of you. Sin wants all of you. I can tell you in my own life that there's been times, quote, that I've petted sin instead of putting it out. A story was told, and true story. Amy, a story was told about a man that this don't make no kind of sense to me. But he got, I think it was a python that he got as a, as, as a pet. Now listen, I ain't up, we don't handle snakes here. <laughs> Unless somehow one get into the church and just got to go. <laughs> we don't do that. I'm against it. That may be some of you that I don't like snakes, period. But this man got a snake and, and he was feeding that python. And for whatever reason, I, I don't know. I, that, that, that just don't make any sense to me. But he kept this snake in his house, and he kept feeding it. And the more he kept feeding it, the more it grew. And that snake kept growing and went from ever how many this into something that was very big. It's either a python or a boa constrictor. His friends knew he had it. People may have said of this or that, but the story is told this is in the mid-2000s. That one day when nobody had heard from him, they thought they would go in and find him. And what had happened? The snake had got a hold of him and squeezed the life out of him. And this snake was so big, this very snake that he petted, this very snake that he raised, this very snake that he fed, now drug him into its cage. And they found this man, true story, they found this man in that constrictor's cage or that python's cage. Pastor, what's that got to do with me? You keep feeding the sin. And you let somebody tell you, you take your grace for granted. You got enough grace. I know it sounds like what I've been preaching, abiding, abounding, amazing grace, aligning grace, all this, but that authority in grace. Grace does not give you the authority to live the way that you want to and a license to sin. That's not grace. Grace says, I am free by the blood of Jesus. Today, maybe you're out there and you're saying, well, I'm petting this sin, and you keep feeding this sin. 
fact of the matter is this, is that hell, you know, isn't it amazing that the Bible calls that old devil the old serpent? How that what's he want, what he wants to do, let you keep petting that, and he'll squeeze the life out of you. And God forbid that you be found in hell. For those of you today that's once in grace, always in grace, or that you're this, you're that, I'm not here to split those theological hairs. But I can tell you in Scripture, I see one of two things. Simple to me. Maybe for those of you that, that listen, maybe you never knew Jesus. I'll give you that. Maybe you never did. And then the way that I can equate Scripture later is this, is that for those that did, but did you turn your back on Him? Did you walk away? Did you keep growing colder and colder? Did sin keep enticing you? Because I'll tell you this, sin will harden your heart. And it will squeeze the life out of you. As I close. It's an amazing grace. Oh, song says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You know what Jesus didn't do? To that woman with the issue of blood, he didn't say, hey, woman, you that's unclean, come here. He knew when power and virtue had gone out of him. He knows right now that you're reaching out and touching the hem of his garment. And he's stopping and shutting everything else down. Why? Because of grace. Grace. Then when he stopped and he said, who touched me? Today you may be out there and you're saying, I don't know, man, but boy, right now I'm asking him to forgive me. I'm asking him to set me free. And in the midst of that right now, he's able to do that in an instant. It's a life's walk. It's a grace walk. Reach out and touch the hem of that garment. You know what he said? Daughter, you know that. We've all preached that before. But right now, that's amazing grace. Amazing grace doesn't call you a sinner. It doesn't see the sin as much as it sees the soul. And God has a perfect will and a divine plan. And it's a will for all men to be saved. And it's a divine plan that said, whosoever will, let them come. So today, you can come. It's an amazing grace. Come on, Jake, sing what's ever on your heart and there in your home today. Don't just bow your head, bow your heart. Give your life to Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, thank you for this weapon called grace and the authority of grace. Come on. Hey, everybody, just wanted to thank you once again for being with us here in our worship service today and taking the time out, which I know is so valuable to you. God bless you and be encouraged. And remember, Jesus is King.